If you have a Bible today, go ahead and turn with me to, uh, to John chapter 1. And I'm just going to jump right in. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him, all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, and he cried out, saying, This is the one. I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Good morning, by the way. Uh, today marks our fourth Sunday in the Gospel of John. We're going to be focusing on verses 14 through 18 today, but before we jump in, let's first take a look at where we've been and what we've learned in verses 1 through 13 over the last few weeks. In week one, verses uh, 1 through 5, we were introduced to the word, which we quickly, we quickly learn is, is Jesus. When we come to understand that Jesus is the light, the light that is the light of all mankind, and, and this light is not overcome by the darkness. We learn that this light is more than just the breath in our lungs or the rhythm of our pulse, the blood coursing through our veins. We learn that this light is the goodness of God. We learn that when we embrace and reflect that light, that we are embracing and reflecting the goodness of God. In verses 6 through 9, we meet John the Baptist, and we come to understand what it means and what it meant for him to have been sent by God. We learn what it means to witness boldly, to testify boldly, and we learn that we too are sent by the author of life to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And in verses 10 through 13, we begin to realize and appreciate our adoption into the family of God and, and that our part in the equation is just to recognize and receive Jesus. 
And that brings us right here and now to verses 14 through 18. So once again, John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, read like this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one who I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me out of his fullness. We have received grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's break this down with some questions and observations. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt, made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We'll unpack that, but before we do, first let me ask you a question, just for you guys to put on the shelf for a little bit here. Uh, what does it mean to be full of grace and truth? What does that mean? We'll touch back on that in a few. Just keep that in mind. What does it mean to be full of grace and truth? So back to the text. If you've been counting, and it's totally okay if you have not been counting, by the way, uh, this, is, this is the fourth mention of the word, the capital W word, the proper noun word. And a quick comparison between verses 1 and 14 here. A portion of verse 1 reads like this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And a portion of verse 14 reads like this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. A few things that stand out in those verses refer to a state of being or a state of existence. Verse one says the word was. Verse 14 says the word became. So the word, Jesus, was entering a new plane of existence. He was becoming human. He was becoming one of us. And he made his dwelling among us. Some translations may read different. I don't know if you have the NLT, NIV, CSB, ESV, whatever you're reading from. But they say this, he made his dwelling among us. He lived for a while among us. And in any case, the sentiment remains the same. And that sentiment is that the word, Jesus, left his place on high to take the form of his own creation. Now, whether your translation reads lived or dwelled, both of those words mean temporary because that's what life is. It's temporary. When we say that we, we live or dwell somewhere, there's no sense of permanence in, in, in what we say, whether the designation is a community, a town, or a city, or if you want to get a little smaller, you could say home, that's where I live, that's where I dwell. Well, how long do we live or dwell there? Forever? No. We live there until we leave there, or until we die. But we don't live anywhere forever, at least on this side of the veil. Every way that we understand what it means to live means temporary. It means impermanent. It means momentary. It means fleeting. The creator of the known universe left a place that doesn't know time and accepted the conditions of human life with all of its limitations. 
And this is why John testified concerning him saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was here before me. Now verses 16 and 17 read like this, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now a few moments ago, I posed that question to you. What does it mean to be full of grace and truth? And the answer is that we probably don't know, at least for us. For us, we probably don't know what it means to be full of grace and truth. So I guess a better question would be, what does it mean that Jesus came to us full of grace and truth? Well, what it means is that he was 100% full of both grace and truth. I was able to, uh, to make it to that men's breakfast meeting in Porterville yesterday, which was awesome, by the way. Um, I threw up a flyer last week, only one week in advance, and I totally failed to mention it at the podium. Uh, I went with Brad. It was uh, easily more than 100 guys there, and it was a wonderful experience. It's a monthly thing, and uh, we're going to be more involved in it to whatever extent we can. Uh, I got off track there, but I went yesterday to that meeting. And the speaker steps up, and, uh, and I, didn't, I didn't have my Bible. <laughs> and he said, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. And I was like, no way. This is, this is where I am. And I heard, I heard him give this take on grace and truth. And the speaker described grace in terms that were very similar to those that we've, we've studied in the past few weeks. A simple definition of grace is, I'll repeat this for the dozenth time, um, God's love toward us when and where we have earned the opposite of God's love. A deeper definition is that God's grace is any and everything we do by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the power to do the things that we could not previously do before receiving the Spirit. And it's the power to not do the things that we want to do. And he spoke of, of how sometimes we use grace and truth in the wrong proportion, if that makes any sense. He said that sometimes we, we apply truth, but not enough grace. And that sometimes we apply grace, but not enough truth. When we overapply truth, here's an example. We all have, we all have, like, we, we've had someone in our, in our life, our life, at some point that is, has needed to hear the truth. Yeah. Like, whether that someone is, uh, is in, the, in, in the throes of addiction or in some other sin that has caused their life to just like tumble out of sorts. We've all had someone like that in our life. Maybe we've been that someone. And at some point, somebody, somebody might say, man, somebody's got somebody to drop some truth on this guy. Somebody's got to drop some truth on this gal. They just, they got to hear it, you know? And sometimes we think we're the one. I'm going to do it. Someone has got to be honest and tell this person where and how they've got it all wrong and we drop this truth bomb on them and we quote scripture and we don't pull any punches and we're sure and we're certain that, that, that finally our loved one, our friend, is going to turn from sin and toward Jesus because we have given them the truth. How has that worked out? Did they receive the truth? Not typically. I would say that more than likely what they received is condemnation. Now, to that same person, to that same person, 
One might see them and think, oh my goodness, all these people are just being so mean to him. Can't, can't they see that this poor soul, they just need, they need grace? Oh, I'm just going to step in right here. So that same person, one might give countless second chances. Just one after another just gets burned and gets burned again, but just grace, grace, grace. Does that mean that this person has received grace? No, not really. I would say that more than likely, they haven't received grace. They've only received a codependent, which is so dangerous. You know, I didn't hear enough of you make noise, and I almost wrote this down. Um, Just by show of hands, do you know what a codependent is? Okay, so for those of you that don't have your hands up, if you look it up in a dictionary, a codependent, very simply defined, it's, it's, it can be two people that they mutually need each other. They're codependent on one another. And in this context, a codependent is somebody who is trapped in sin or addiction or whatever it is that's harmful. And the other codependent is somebody that seeks gratification by, by delivering goodness to that person. So somebody's like identity is like, oh man, I'm just, it's like a hero identity. Like they just jump in and they save them. They save them from consequences. And the person that's being rescued from consequences is like, oh, this person is awesome. I need this person to exist. And the person who's rescuing is like, oh, this person is always in need of help. I need them to exist so I can feel gratified. That's my identity. That's a codependent, which is so, so dangerous because the recipient thinks that second chances are the definition of grace. And the giver, man, they just think they're out there doing the Lord's work. And, and both of those people will eventually arrive at a shockingly painful revelation of truth, which ironically was the thing that was missing from the equation. Grace without truth produces codependency. And truth without grace produces condemnation. And I want to clarify something real quick here because I speak very frequently about conviction. So condemnation and conviction are not the same thing. I am convicted by the Holy Spirit to change my behavior. That's conviction. My condemnation actually doesn't exist because of what I have in Jesus. But when we approach something, when we approach somebody and we just drop truth on them without grace, man, they're not receiving Jesus. They're receiving condemnation. Hebrews 4.16 encourages us to approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Jesus operated by the same spirit that resides in those who believe. Speaking truth into somebody's life without first approaching the throne of grace It's like going to the grocery store without any money. What are you going to do when you get there? You still plan on filling your cart? Okay. What do you plan on doing after that? You still going to take it after the register? Because you can only get so far without currency. You can only get so far before you realize that all of your efforts up to that point are a wash. Grace is so much more than unearned favor. So much more. Grace is like a divine currency. And we can do nothing of God without grace. 
So let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So often we think of asking God for only the big things in life, the monumental asks for the monumental tasks. And we forget that the God who rescues from addiction, the God that restores marriages and families is the same God who gives us the strength to be loving to our neighbor who is difficult to love our coworker who is difficult to love. It's by the power of the same spirit. So whether we need to buy a loaf of bread or buy a car, we have to go to the bank and withdraw the funds to do so, yeah? And the same goes with the throne of grace, whether we're looking for the courage to make it through the day or if we're suffering through a dark and painful season of life, we approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Let's tie this all together. I know I've been off in a couple directions here. The creator of the known universe left his place that doesn't know time or limitations. And he accepted the conditions of human life with all of its limitations. And he came to us full of grace and truth. Why? Why is that important? Because truth without grace or grace without truth changes little or nothing. Verses 16 and 17 tell us, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Under the law given by Moses, there was grace. I, I, I think sometimes I, I, I forget that grace isn't new. Grace isn't like just since Jesus. It's just different grace. There was already grace in the Old Testament, abundant grace, grace as we understand it, grace that, that we would say that's, well, that's God's love when, when and where we've earned the opposite of God's love. You guys, dozens of times in the Old Testament, God lays it out. He gave the Israelites instructions on how to stay in right relationship with him and with each other. And they do until they don't. And then grace. And then he gives them instructions on how to stay in right relationship with him and with each other. And they do until they don't. Grace. That was the grace that they knew. That was the law given through Moses. Then through Jesus, we have grace and truth. And it is out of his fullness that we receive grace in place of grace already given. That grace is more than receiving God's love when we don't deserve it. That grace is being invited to open dialogue with God, to be able to run boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy in times of need, to be able to do so. And we'll close out here in a few with verse 18. And it reads like this. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, at first glance, reading this, uh, this portion of Scripture, the first time that I ever read the Gospel of John, and I'm talking about like years ago, not like the last few weeks that I've been preparing for this series I read those words and they were a little bit off-putting. 
I read those words, no one has ever seen God. And I thought, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I remember, even from like Sunday school, that there were a few people that have seen God. And it started this domino effect. And I started second guessing it and trying to poke holes in scripture. I started to, to look for contradictions in scripture until I, I came to a place of exhaustion. But I had gotten there because I had told myself, you know, I was just trying to understand. I'm just trying to understand what it all means. I'm reading this. I'm trying to receive this. And I just couldn't understand it. And I just made this choice, this cognitive choice. Well, clearly this thing contradicts itself. It's probably all false. So I told myself that uh, the disproving scripture was an easier task than understanding the depth of God's love for me. Not realizing that both of those things, disproving scripture or understanding God's love for me, are actually both impossible tasks. I can't disprove scripture, and I also can't understand why God loves me so much. And I ended up at this place of brokenness. But that was a good thing. Because another way of saying that someone has been broken is by saying that a person has been humbled. And in the book of James, we're told that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And in that grace, having been humbled, I was able to understand what John meant when he said no one has ever seen God. And what I understood is that he meant not like this. No one has ever seen God like this. Has anyone ever communed with God? Has God ever revealed himself, spoken to them like one friend to another? Sure, a handful of people in one way or another, but not like this. Not like when the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father makes himself known. I jotted down some notes that apparently I didn't put in here, but on a piece of scratch paper in that office, I jotted down this note that says that when we care, we show up. There have been, you guys, a lot, of, a lot of people in here are parents. I don't know if you've ever had to just show up at school, whether that's to like tear into your son or daughter or whether that's to show love to your son or daughter. But when you care, you show up. And I thought about that. A few weeks ago, I've said a few times that my, my oldest son is, well, he's just a 10-year-old boy is what he is. So I have a 10-year-old boy, and he's doing 10-year-old boy stuff. 10-year-old uh, boy stuff is that you, uh, you get A's on your tests, and you do none of your work. And when you come home... <laughs> When you come home, um, you task your parents with helping you do the homework that you know how to do. Um, and it's been really frustrating, and we're working through it. Um, I, have, I have said some things in a tone of voice that maybe weren't that loving to my son in the last few weeks. And like a week ago, I just showed up at school. I went to the burger stand, I picked up some lunch, and I sat with them, and I just, I just hung out with them just to say like, hey, I know things have been rough, but I love you, and I'm here with a cheeseburger and french fries and a milkshake. Um, that's my love language. So what, what John meant when he said that no one has ever seen God, he means not like this. Because what did God do? He showed up. 
in the flesh. And he did life with us. This wasn't like, hey, come up to this mountain and I'm going to appear in this form and we're going we're gonna to speak face to face, but I'm not really like, I'm not going to go with you. I just, but, but come to this place and I'll talk to you. It wasn't like that. He showed up in the flesh and he did life with us and he celebrated and he mourned and he worked and he taught and he died for us and he defeated death for us and then he returned to us. And when he left this realm, he gave us the Holy Spirit that we might obtain grace and have the power to give grace. The scripture says this, that he came to, came to us full of grace and And what is that truth? I talked a lot about grace this morning, but what is that truth? That truth is that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The truth is that God loves us. The truth is God's love. There have been many times in my life when my trajectory has been altered just so by grace shown to me. And the same can be said for truths shared with me. But the one thing, the one thing that caused me to turn from sin and to repent, then, yesterday, this morning, now, is Jesus. And his grace that is the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things that I alone cannot and his truth that says that he loves us to a degree that we'll never understand. In the opening comments of this study Bible, it reads that John's describing of Jesus as the word in verse, uh, verse, verses 1 through 14, that it's the sum of all that God wanted to say to us that God communicated in the only way that we could truly understand by becoming one of us and coming to us full of grace and truth. Are there times and places for tough love and difficult truths? Yes, absolutely. Is there occasion from time to time to give grace? Yes, absolutely. Our charge is this, that in those times, before offering either, that we run boldly to the throne of grace, that we might receive what we need in order to offer them both in proportion to what Jesus has shown us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that we would be made teachable. Lord, that we might know what it means and what it looks like to be full of grace and truth. God, give us the courage to step away from our own understanding and to acknowledge you in all of our ways. And give us the wisdom to approach your throne in all matters of life. That we might be better equipped to share your goodness with others. And God, we pray that you bless our efforts in doing so going forward. We pray all of this in the loving and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.